you. Uh, why don't you give a little bit of the history uh, of Naomi's Village? Uh, Naomi's Village is the organization that we partner with when we go there. You saw a lot of pictures of the, the children's home and some of the kids there. Uh, why don't you give a little history of the history and uh, the mission of that organization? Okay. Can you all hear me? Okay. Uh, Naomi's Village was opened in 2011 by some um, American missionaries named Bob and Julie. Uh, it is an orphanage. Uh, right now they, ho- they have 83 kids. Um, they're expecting to have up to 100, but right now they're building some more um, some dorms for their teenagers. But um, Naomi's Village is different than other orphanages in Kenya because they want to raise the children as if they are their own children. Um, the orphanages there are in bad shape, usually. Um, the kids aren't well taken care of. Sometimes they're further um, abused or neglected in orphanages. So, uh, But these kids, they receive the best education, um, the best spiritual care, physical care, Um, They're treated like a family, and their goal in all of this is to raise kids who will one day change Kenya from within. So they teach them to take pride in their country, um, to not hope to leave Kenya one day for a better place, but to stay in Kenya, to give back to their community, and to start change with a Christian worldview um, based on what they've been taught as they have grown up. Yeah. So, uh, Don, I know this is your, I'm going to call you Don, is that okay? okay. All right, this is my father-in-law. Um, at, at Houston River, as I'm known as Scott's favorite grandfather. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so this was your first trip. This was your first time to be exposed to Naomi's Village. Kind of give us some information, like what your experience was, how that organization kind of impacted you when you were there. Okay, um, guess what? Um, they're people just like us, no different. They have uh, generations before them of poverty, and that's all they've known. And so that's all that a lot of them expect. Well, what a lot of the missions and the village that we stayed with, they're trying to change that culture, like Natalie said, from within. The education system there that uh, the Naomi's Village kids go to, and then they take some of the poorest of the poor uh, children in the area, and they go to a school called Cornerstone. This is 100% taught by Kenyan teachers. So um, they're trying to keep everything within Kenya and to teach these kids. And how well are they doing? Well, when they first, um, before the school was built, they were teaching within Naomi's Village. And so at the end of the school year, they had to take standardization tests. And um, so they took the test just like all the public schools did in the area. And Naomi's Village kids scored up here, okay? And the top in the entire region came from Naomi's Village. This, the public school system was down here in their averages. So it's, there, it's working. Uh, and as David mentioned, this is all Christ-centered. Um, Natalie led a devotion our first full day there, and they were quoting Bible scriptures. Uh, it was amazing, these kids, how, how much they're taught and how it's incorporated into them. And you watch them in their um, worship service, and some of the kids were, like, into it, okay? They... <clears throat> really had emotion and you could see that they were sharing with the Lord. 
So that was very inspirational to see. Um, and David asked me to say, why, um, why should you go on a trip like this? Well, if you talk to somebody from the USA and you tell them you went on a mission trip, a general answer you're going to get is, oh, well, thank you for helping those people. I know you went and helped people that are less fortunate than you. And, and that's a, a piece of it for sure. But really, it's about <clears throat> you learning and growing, getting outside of your comfort zone and expanding yourself um, to see how other cultures work. And it helps you to grow, helps you see things from a different perspective. And one thing we learned there, <clears throat> their, their faith's a lot stronger than ours. We, what do we worry about? Think about the things that you worry about day in and day out. Their focus is on what are my kids going to eat tonight? Not what are my kids going to eat a year from now? What are they going to eat tonight? Um, how are they going to get to one place or another? How am I going to have any money for anything? And their faith is in God, and it's very, very strong, and it's, it's really encouraging to see. And it taught us a lot. It taught us about, <clears throat> about you know, devotion and focusing on what's important and not focusing on what's not important. And so it really can skew your thinking because here we're conditioned um, by our, our past and our, the generations before us and being better off than our parents were. And th they've gone through this series of, of poverty. And guess what? These kids didn't know they were poor. They run around, cut up, laugh. And we went to one place that Janet's going to talk about, or Linda, and uh, they were very shy. There was kids about this tall. And so, I don't know, I'm, I'm that age mentally, okay? So I started chasing them. <laughs> and um, pretty soon I, had, I was chasing 40 kids, and all of them were laughing so much. And then they started chasing me. And, um, and their heart was so pure that it was just a blessing to see. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to backtrack a little bit uh, for Didi. Uh, why don't you, I know, because this is Didi's second time to go with us. Uh, we're kind of, we're trying to, with Phil and Didi this time, we were trying to get them to a point where maybe in the future they could take a team. That way, if anything should happen to me and Natalie, Sulphur Community Church can continue to disciple people and bring people on this trip. And so Didi's a little bit more knowledgeable about kind of the history of Cornerstone. Uh, Don mentioned this already. Uh, but why don't you give it like uh, some history behind the, the evolution of how, where Cornerstone came from, why was it necessary, and what are they doing there? Um, Cornerstone came because Naomi's Village had their own school. And like Don had said, they scored extremely high compared to the rest of, I mean, the nation really in Kenya. So they said that that's not fair that only their kids get to experience that and have that. Um, Sorry, I don't talk very loud. Um, so what they did is they, they extended it to the community. And really, the kids who come to Cornerstone from the community are, like he said, the poorest of the poor. These are the kids who, if they didn't have Cornerstone, probably wouldn't go to school at all. Um, most of people, I would say, in Kenya probably maybe at best experience an eighth grade education. And that's probably pretty good uh, compared to right. most getting to about maybe fourth grade, third or fourth grade. Um, 
so that's kind of how Cornerstone came about. And whenever you start including these kids from the community, they can't afford school. So later on, Natalie will talk about like sponsorships, and that's how they run. But that's kind of how Cornerstone came to be. Yeah. And before we pass the mic, um, and we'll, I'll open this up to Natalie and Didi. As sponsors, uh, both of you sponsor children at Cornerstone. This trip around, can you kind of share your experience as far as getting to meet the kids, getting to meet their families, uh, what that was like? Well, th the first time we went, we we started sponsoring a brother and a sister, Naomi and Joseph, and we got to meet them, but they had just started Cornerstone, so there was a, a big language barrier. They only really knew Swahili, so we played paper, rock, scissors, um, and that was kind of the only thing we got to do with them, but then it's been two years, and we've written them letters, and we've seen videos of them, and we can now communicate a little bit better, and so just getting to know them through communication and then getting to see them again was just like a joy. Like I, I felt like it was like a present, <laughs> really. Um, but also realizing like they they're they're beautiful and they have these wonderful smiles and they're joyful and you know they never ask for anything, they never complain about anything, and their faith is is just so strong and they're just so willing just to love. Like you just walk up and they just want to hold your hand and they just want to hug you and they want to play with you and. If you play a game with them, they'll remember you <laughs> forever. Um, but we got to go to their home through community outreach, and we got to see why Cornerstone exists, mm -hmm. pretty much. Um, I have never seen poverty like that in my life. Um, a lot of the things they had was were due to Cornerstone, Cornerstone providing their beds, Cornerstone providing their water tank, the benches for them to do their homework, um, really the only other furniture in their home that they owned, like as in they bought for themselves was a couch and then there was a dirt floor. So it was really hard to be in the house and they were asking us if we had questions and I felt stupid because I just sat there, but I was afraid to speak because I was just going to lose it in the middle of their home. Um, but it, it just kind of made me realize like the importance of the sponsorship. It's not you saving them in any kind of means. It's just you helping them because when you're sponsoring them and you're, and you're kind of putting money into their education, you're really just empowering them to be a better self that they can be. And so we don't view it as like, oh, we're helping these poor children. We view it as like we're investing into mm -hmm. someone's future and hopefully into the future of Kenya. Nellie, why don't you kind of share your experience? Uh, yeah, we also went to the home of some of our sponsored kids, and they said that, like, the family they visited was at the lowest, like, economics that there was, is out there. I think their house was, like, what, 10 by 10, y'all said? Or it was, like, yeah, so it was, yeah, and so we went to our sponsored kids, and they said our kids were at the top, like they qualified, but it was um, so a different experience. And they had two parents who um, worked, still poverty. Like mm -hmm. I think any in this room would still be shocked to see it. But um, we got to talk a lot with the father um, of the kids while we were there. And um, he kind of just shared with us what Cornerstone meant to them um, 
and he talked about the school that the boys went to um, when they had enough money beforehand and how they weren't learning anything and they couldn't really speak English and and then what a difference Cornerstone makes. And Cornerstone is working with the families to whatever extent they're willing. Um, so I know that the father of the children we sponsor, he's willing to work with them. So they're teaching him, um, they're going to teach him how to take care of chickens. Um, like we went and he had some chickens, but like there was like a dead one <laughs> on the roof. And he's like, yeah, my chicken died. So like... <laughs> So Steve, the missionary, was like, we're going to teach them about vaccinations and um, help them get access to that kind of stuff. And then crops, too. Like, he grows crops, but everyone grows the same three crops. So there's, like, too much of it, and it's cheap, and nobody needs to buy it. So they're going to teach them how to grow some, like, cash crops, too. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's community development in that way, in that the kids are getting a great education. Um, they're learning about Jesus, and they're helping the parents to um, also learn about um, some ways to make more sustainable income and stuff like that. Um, and then the kids, once they reach high school, will either take an educational track or um, like a more agricultural track where they could teach the kids that stuff too if their um, scores aren't high enough yeah. for um, the educational track. But it's really cool to see, um, meet the family of the kids you sponsor and um, to know that it's real and that your money is going where they say it's going and that kind of stuff. I really thought that was cool. And they make it a point you know, for visitors to be able to... Um, Visit the sponsored kids at Cornerstone. And why don't you just briefly mention how people could get involved here Okay. as far as sponsorship? Yeah, so when we talk about sponsorships, there's we didn't talk about Leap Academy. Those, those cute kids in the bright colored t-shirts playing with the balloons and all that, that's the preschool they started. Um, right now it's on Naomi's Village's, it's on their land, but those kids are going to become Cornerstone kids when they reach kindergarten. And they're also going to start a program for babies and their mothers, starting with pregnant mothers. And they're going to walk from pregnant mother all the way through finishing school mm -hmm. um, with these families. So when you talk about sponsorships, there's sponsorships for LEAP, which is the preschool, for Cornerstone, and then for Naomi's Village. Um, Naomi's Village has more sponsors per child right now because they've been around longer in Cornerstone. They have like 150 kids right now and they have huge plans to take in way more kids um, and they want to start this baby program. So they're continually looking to grow and they can't do, take in the new group of kids until they have sponsors for all their current ones. So they gave us some little cards of some of the kids who most need sponsors. So I'm gonna have this in the back at the table if anyone wants to look at it, but um, we know these kids, mm -hmm. you know, they're not, you know, you've been to those things with the pictures of the kids, but <laughs> um, these are the kids in the videos, you know, who are playing the games and stuff. But um, if anyone is looking to sponsor um, at Cornerstone, these are some of the kids who most need sponsors. And they know if they have sponsors, by the way, like, when we got there, you know, who do you sponsor? You know, who do you sponsor? And it makes them feel special. And so the kids who don't have sponsors, they're like, oh, I don't have a sponsor. You know what I'm saying? So it does mean more than just, you know, money to them. It's like a relationship, someone that they know is looking out for their best interest and praying for them. But um, they gave us some of these. If anyone wants it, I can show them to you. Yeah. 
Uh, to wrap up this panel, uh, why don't each each one of you, Don, you kind of already mentioned uh, part of it, but uh, just wrap it up. How were you impacted most, and why would somebody, why should someone go on a trip like this? How was I impacted most? Um, it was a reality check for me. I think uh, here we live in um, a society that where we don't have a lot of appreciation for the things we have. We're entitled. Um, we think we're entitled to a lot. And it got down to the fundamentals and, and basics of life and why we're here. And one of the things we talked about with the kids was, um, and we all do this, we, we try to put God first, right? Okay. Then it seems like second, we think about ourselves. Well, Going there, it really drove home, and it can change your attitude about, you know, always having God first, but your neighbor's more important than you are. And if you truly believe that, you truly uh, work toward that, putting your neighbor ahead of yourself, um, that's what God wants us to do. And, and I think that taught me a lot. And I was able to um, meet my sponsored child also. He's David. He turned two while we were there. Um, he calls me Uncle Don. It was, um, and um, we got to play with him and spend some time with him, and it was pretty cool uh, in the baby room with them. And uh, Janet may bring that up too, or Linda. But um, what was your second question? Why, why should someone go on? Because um, we're going again in 2020. So why? If you don't go, you're missing something that that you may regret later in life um, because it, it's all about love and wh where you're putting your love, you know, is it inward or are you putting it outward? And, um, and I, I think if you want to expand and be all that you can be, you need to see other things and not just through, um, through blinders here that this can really open up your vision and help you to be a more well-rounded Christian. Okay. Um, well, I think that you should go because it's um, it's a for those who have gone before. Hopefully, you know you already know this, but for us, we walk through this with people that we know well in our church for a reason. So it starts with training. Um, we go through the book When Helping Hurts with our team before we get there. We learn about um, empowerment and um, that we're not going to save the world in 10 days. You know, we, we work on our mindset a little bit. And then while we're there, there's tons of learning opportunities about community development and um, what they're doing there. And then when we come back, we have our church and our neighborhood where we get to implement what we've learned. Um, and we talk about that with the team all the time. Like it doesn't stop when we get back. It actually starts when you get back. And so, um, I was excited this time to come back. Like, I don't know, like in the past, it's been really hard to leave and it was hard to leave, but it's like, we have our own area where we're trying to do the same exact thing. And there's so many similarities. Like they were saying they just had this conference where everyone comes together. It was the merge conference. Mm -hmm. Like they had just had their own version of that. Mm -hmm. um, they're doing a lot of the same things and they have the same goals that our church has. 
And so um, it's a lot, it's a learning opportunity. It opens up your eyes about how big God is and how he's at work everywhere. Um, And hopefully it equips us to do the same stuff in our neighborhood. And so that's why I would say that you should go. What were the questions? (laughs) How are you most impacted and why should someone go? Okay. Um, I guess most impacted would be compared to the first time. Um, The first time I went, it's kind of like overwhelming. You're getting a lot of information and you're experiencing so many things. It just kind of becomes very like in a romantic view. It's like, oh, these these precious babies and all of these children and they're so good and so sweet. And then the second time around, I'm like, they're kids (laughs) and they're, they're going to make mistakes. And then it's just like any kid here, they could be raised uh, with certain values and and certain teachings, but they're going to go and make their own decisions. And so know when you are investing in these kids, that doesn't mean that they're going to be perfect and it doesn't mean that they're going to make all the right decisions, but that's the whole point, um, is for you to be there with them and walking with them. So I guess I just saw more of, like, the realness and everything um, and how people literally, I mean, we talk about it all the time, and I know it, it's in my head, but sometimes, like, your head and your heart doesn't always connect, but it's completely giving of yourself, when you're in these ministries and you're connecting with people, Mm -hmm. like it's more than just, I'm setting aside two hours to come hang out with you. It's like, you are a part of my life, like day in, day out, morning to night, you're on my mind. I'm praying for you. My heart hurts for you. When you hurt, my heart is joyful when you're joyful. So it just kind of brought home, like it's life. It's not just a little bit of time. It's life. Good. Thank you. Thank you three. Uh, I'm going to ask uh, now for Miss Janet, uh, Linda, and Heather. And so one of the things that Naomi's Village that you heard Natalie and the, those three talk about uh, was all, it's not just staying within the walls of Naomi's Village Children's Home or even within the walls of the school. They are seeking to develop their whole community, which includes the parents of the school, uh, which includes the neighbors around them. And so one of the things that our teams get to do is we get to go visit ministry partners of Naomi's Village. And so that's what kind of this panel is going to be about is community partnership. Uh, because that's one of the things that we want to do in our church, right? We, we strive to connect people with resources. We don't want to duplicate what, what a care help is already doing, uh, but we want to work together. And that's what Naomi's Village does uh, with, their, with their neighbors. And so we got to see a few. And so I'm going to kind of open up with Miss Linda. Why don't you talk about Flow of Hope? Uh, what is it? And what did you fall in love with while you were there? Okay, um... Well, one of the pictures that you saw of the, um, our bus being like stuck in the mud, uh, that was on the way to Flow of Hope. We, it's in, um, we were going to actually what's called Roots of Hope, which is a part of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in Kajabe, am I saying that right? Up the mountain. So um, thankfully, we were able to get there. Um, I'm really am thankful of that because it was such um, an amazing uh, experience to to visit there. And so the, the man who started this whole thing called Flow of Hope, is, his name is John. 
um, his story is that when he was um, 14, his father was disabled, and so there, was, there wasn't money for the family, the, him and his siblings. And so they had to leave home and were just on their own. And so thankfully he ended up, he didn't end up on the street like in some situations like some of the you know, kids do. Um, he ended up working in Kajabe and um, met a missionary couple who sort of took him under their wing and they put him through mechanic school. And so he was able to, to get a job, you know, where he was able to support himself. And through this whole process, um, I guess when he kind of came to adulthood, he realized that he wanted to give back to his people, just like somebody had done for him. And so he started this um, flow of hope. Okay, so um, the part that we went to was called Roots of Hope. Um, there's also, I'm just going to mention really briefly the other two, um, I don't, some of you may have even heard of Threads of Hope, um, and this is an, an empowering uh, empowerment ministry for women. And so what they do is they provide small business loans for women so that they're able to get like just like a sewing machine and um, materials. And so they're able to make clothing and purses and sell for a living. And so that's been going on. Um, the whole the Flow of Hope started in 2004. And I think that was the first part of that ministry. And then since then, it's, it's expanded. And um, Roots of Hope, is, which is the place that we went to, um, and I don't think, I don't know if he said this, and I just didn't remember, but when I looked on the website, it's actually only like a year old. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's fairly new. Um, and so the philosophy of this ministry is, he, he talked about two trees. So if you have one tree, um, what would be the best way to go about having a healthy tree? Um, would it be like to start planting the seeds and then watering it and nurturing it and so that it grows straight up? Or if you look at another tree that's like crooked and bent or whatever, um, to wait until the tree is bent and then try to straighten it up. Okay, so, so his, the idea of that is start you know, when they're young and and nurture and grow them up to be where they're on the, uh, the right path. And so this is a preschool, and it's very um, basic. It's just a few tin buildings, basically, with, you know, wooden build- buildings. But in this, um, in this campus, he has, like, 40-some preschoolers, like, um, I think it's two and a half to six years old, I believe. Mm-hmm and also some disabled children. Um, he has a daughter who is disabled, so he has a heart for that. And, and a lot of times children who have disabilities are just sort of pushed to the side and not taken care of. So um, he has some disabled children also there. And so in this, during a typical day, these kids um, are fed two nourishing meals a day, which some of them wouldn't get at all at home. And then also, um, seven hours of education. And so the idea, the education system, and you kind of heard from the others, it's not really that good. And so what happens is when, if you're not, if you don't make a certain, you're not at a certain level or whatever at eighth grade, you're, you don't qualify to go on to high school. So that ends the education for a lot of kids. And so by starting at the preschool level, his hope is that he can, um, you know, these kids can get a good start and so that they'll they'll do well when they get to the primary and secondary school and be able to go ahead and, 
and completed education. And, and some of the kids lived there. There's, um, there was a, a very um, basic dormitory kind of thing with some beds, and, and so some of them do stay there as well. Um, and we got to go and just play with the kids kind of during their recess or whatever for school, and it was amazing. They were just, we actually forgot our, we had, <laughs> we had a suitcase with all our supplies and stuff in it, and what chalk and bubbles and things that we were going to do with them, and we actually forgot that. And so on our hour sit in the bus, while well, we realized that we didn't have that, so we just played games with them. But it didn't really matter because they were happy just to have us there and to just be engaging with them. And we played games with them, and it was just, um, it was really awesome. And it was really inspiring because um, he does, it is sort of, the website describes it as he's kind of like a one-man operation, um, basically, he doesn't have a ton of other um, support or whatever, but he's doing so much um, with, with the kids. And then I also found out, I don't know if you mentioned this or not, but there's another ministry for widows and um, mm-hmm. orphans, which that one, he, they, um, what happens in a lot of the times is there's so many women dying of AIDS over there that there's, there's so many orphans uh, as a result of that. And so what happens is the grandmothers raise the children. And so you have these, you know, much older grandmothers trying to raise these little kids. And so what, what he does is there, um, he provides food. Um, I can't remember food drops, I think is what they call where it's like basic food. Every so often they bring to the grandmothers to help. And then they're also, he has like, there's a big field with, um, where they planted crops that is used just for them that they can, get food from the crops and uh, fruit trees and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot going on within this whole flu of hope ministry. And we got to, um, you know, experience a little part of that. So I would encourage y'all to go to the website and just read about it. Cause it's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. I, I would comment uh, just a little bit from my perspective. So I, I get, I get to talk a little bit. Um, you know, Naomi's village is this, while it started in 2011, it's moved really quickly. They had a lot of support behind them. And so what they're doing is huge in their area. Whereas this organization, one guy with a, with a heart for his community who, who had received grace and wanted to extend grace, I mean, just a lot of times out of, out of his own pocket, just trying to, to make a difference. And it was a small thing. And that's the thing that I really enjoyed. Um, for our team to see was that we don't have to have this huge organization that's doing all these things that that some of us may be burdened and passionate about one thing in our community and you can start something it is possible and and then this guy's now starting to get some support from some others in in the community so um, that's the thing I like because you know just knowing the history of SC3 which led to the the planning of this church um, it started with a small group of people who had a, a vision, who had a passion, and were burdened for a community, and out of that grew this. And so it's possible uh, for this to happen again. And uh, I was really encouraged by John uh, and just his dedication to, to seeing this out. So. Miss Janet, I know one of the other partners that we got to visit was Rift Valley Fellowship, and I know that was especially um, impactful for you. Can you kind of share what that is? and then what our experience was and what yours was. Those ladies are like prostitutes. They did whatever they could to support their family. It wasn't that that was something they chose to go do. It's like, I have to do this and my kids don't eat or we don't live. This man has taken them into this spot and 
fixing them to where they will have, get a way to be able to make a living another way. And they needed, we went in and we encouraged them, told them, you know, look, you're not the only ones that's went down this road before. You're not, you know, something's not wrong with you. People where we live goes down the same road. I forgot they needed an interpreter, so I just went along, <laughs> spilled my guts, and I had to start all back over again. It's like, oh, you need to be telling them what I'm saying. So we had to regroup. But you know what was real strange about that place is when I went in there, I thought, well, we're going to be, you know, kind of, they're mm. going to be on one side and we're going to be on the other side. You know, they, how are they going to mix with us? Well, when I got there, you know, they had these plastic chairs set out for everybody. I looked at that and I thought, this is not going to work. I need a chair someplace. So back in the corner, close to the back, there was a blue chair sitting there. I thought, that one's mine. (laughs) So I got to mix and mingle with these ladies. And it was such a great friendship when I left there. We got to shop with them. They had their stuff out. Everybody got to sell something they had. You know, I just got such a love from those people. I love the kids, but those ladies just tore at my heart. And whenever I started to leave, I took and I told them, I said, I have to tell them bye. I got up there, I told them, I said, I want to tell all of y'all bye. I may not ever see y'all again, but I will see y'all in heaven. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, there was other things, but those ladies just tore at my heart. Yeah. Yeah, this, so real quick, a uh, little side note. We had two celebrities on our trip, one with adults, one with kids. Uh, Don Fruge was the celebrity with all the children because, like he said, he is a child. And so uh, he was the guy, it, it didn't matter what he said, he could be very serious and they would just lose it laughing. Plus he had to dance, which was, that lent itself to laughter. Uh, and then Miss Janet, it was so weird. Miss Janet, we would just be sitting there and all these ladies would just start come talking to her and like, oh, we're going to miss you. I'm like, when did you meet these people? Uh, but, and then she had her trademark wave. Uh, everybody told her, hey, Miss Janet, this is how she waved. Uh, but it was really neat to see them interact uh, in different ways. Uh, that was really cool. Yeah. So they're also parents of a lot of the what kids? Is it needed? Yeah. So Natalie wants to share. Uh <laughs> How, how uh, what we got to see with this is we got to see the experience of some of the parents of the kids that are taken into Naomi's village. A lot of these people, they had to give up children. And so to know that a lot of these parents making sacrifices in their mind, prostituting themselves so that they can take care of their family, knowing that that's, that's the only way I know how. Uh, so we got to see the, the mindset, the back, background which was important because a lot of times we can see these kids at Naomi's Village and think, well, how terrible are their parents to just give up on these kids? And that's not always the case. Uh, they tried. A lot of them did try, and they, they, they did whatever they could, and that's what we got to see. Uh, Heather, why don't you share a little bit about your experience with either one of these, uh, your perspective as a young, about-to-graduate college student? Um, so for me, like... Uh I will just say this. I hate to have a favorite part, but going to see those women at Rift Valley Fellowship was just, like, absolutely amazing. Um, Walking in, I was a little bit nervous because I just, you just don't know what to expect. Um, But we came in, like, we um, just all, like, kind of sat with them in this, like, just dirt building. And they were just super sweet, like, super welcoming. Um, 
we got to just talk to them, like kind of hear from a few of them what they had been through. And I was just like, like I was just completely blown away. I was like literally about to cry. Um, but they were just so sweet and just hearing like their testimonies and hearing like how they had to like give up their kids. It just kind of just like broke my heart a little bit. Um, and, um, we got to like sing with them. We got to have kind of like a little service with them. And by the end of the service, it felt like we just all like knew each other. Like we had just met these women. We just had like a one hour like service with them. And by the end of it, like we were just all like hugging and like shaking hands and saying goodbye and stuff. So that was, that was really impactful for me. Um, and then going to Flow of Hope, um, going up there, we were, whenever we kind of got like stuck, like in the road, we like, some of us were just like, we're just, we're just not going to make it. Like we were stuck in there for an hour and we were just like, is this like, is this going to happen? Are we going to be able to go there today? And then finally we got out. We were able to go to Flow of Hope. Um, and we went through like this really like small gate that was just it was just like a little hidden place. Yeah, it was it was hard. Um, so we went there and we talked to John and his whole story, kind of like uh, Miss Linda touched on. Um, he was a was given this education and he was just so impacted by like how people like cared for him and how um, how much people across the world loved him enough to give him an education that he just wanted, he just kept saying over and over again, I want to give back to my community. I want to give back to my community. Um, so he started this school and going into it, like there was just, this is hard for me to describe, but there's like basically just like these little sheds. Like that's what the buildings looked like. There was a little school, had like a dirt floor. There was like tables and, you know, kind of like they had like posters on the walls and, um, and then you go into the dormitory and it was just like, kind of just like a basic room, um, and stuff, but the kids, like they are so sweet. They were just so down to like play with us. Um, I swear we could like play a giant game of catch and they would have thought it was so much fun. Um, but I'll, tell you the story that John kind of told us and it was kind of his vision for the ministry. Mm -hmm. He told us a story about how there was this man and he had two kids that he wanted to feed, but he didn't have any food. So he um, lit up the stove, put a pot on it, and then just put a rock inside. And he was like, okay, go to sleep. Um, the mill will be ready whenever you wake up. And as he was doing that, people would just kind of pass by and they would see, why are you boiling a rock? Like, what are you doing? Um, and he was like, well, I really want to feed my kids, but I have no food. And so one by one, like one person would throw in a potato, another person would throw in a carrot. Um, and people would just keep throwing in food. And all that man did was just present a need. And he said, my goal for my ministry is not for you to just give a ton of money just so you can, you know, feel good about yourself, but just put in a little bit here and see how it grows, see how it blesses these kids and stuff. And I just thought like, wow, how cool. Like he's like, all we have to do is just like present a need and people come and people like God will send people to fill it. So, yeah. 
And so, so the church knows uh, we had some extra funds by the end of our trip uh, that we were able to be very generous. Uh, and as a team, made a decision who we were going to be able uh, to support. And one of them is the, the Naomi's Village uh, house moms and the employees there. Uh, we were able to give them a little bit of a bonus um, for all that they do. And then another organization was this Flow of Hope. Uh, I, I told uh, the people at Naomi's Village when we left them with the money, I said, tell John we're giving him a couple of potatoes for his stone soup. And so, and that's where, what, where that came from was... He wasn't asking for us to fully support his ministry, but he's just asking for a potato if we saw that we were able to support him that way. And, and so we were able to do that. So we did leave money, um, but understand that that's not all we can do. Uh, and so we were able to be a part of it. To wrap up just briefly, why don't you mention well, um, why, why somebody should go on this trip? And if you want to tie in what most impacted you as part of that, you can. I guess I'll start. Um... You should go on this trip because you'll learn so much about God and you'll learn so much about like who you are. Um, kind of like Natalie hit on this earlier, but um, I think a lot of people kind of go on mission trips to kind of like feel good about themselves or say like I'm the superhero. But going on this trip, like I've learned that, you know, I'm like, I'm not the superhero. I'm not here to, you know, save Kenya. Um, if anything, I feel like going into this trip, it wasn't me, like, having an impact. It was them having an impact on us. Um, and you just, you learn so much about God and just, like, what his heart is for and how um, how much not only does he love us, but he loves, like, other people and how it's just his heart to have people, like, come to know him and have people to, like, live life abundantly. So, yeah. Well, I just have a couple of things to say. And first of all, I just want to thank three people for seeing that I got to go on this trip. I thank God that he gave me a chance to go. I thank my husband for backing me up. And I thank Don Fruge for yeah. walking up to me and saying, how would you like to go to Kenya? Yeah. You know, and I never come to fundraisers and things. I usually try to help, but as far as coming, I usually don't. But that night I came and he walked up to my table and asked me that. Mm -hmm. So it's like God put it all in place for me to be able to go. And I, the kids were wonderful. I met little darlings that I'll never forget. I met one little boy that will stick with my heart forever. His name was Moses. <laughs> I walked in one day in the cafeteria while he was at school. He came back and met me at the table where I was sitting there because there was no room at his table. They served him this drink with tea and a lot of milk. I didn't like it, but anyway, Moses loved it. <laughs> he took it, he drank it, and then he pulled out a piece of weenie. I thought, what did he get the weenie from? He <laughs> ate his weenie. Couldn't find out that was a treat for them for that day. But I just want to tell everyone that it's such a blessing to be able to walk on that ground mm -hmm. and see those people and get a hug from them. You know, the kids sometimes look at you strange, like, what color are you? Where'd you come from? But, you know, it's so much love there that I think everybody should just pack up and go. And then you're going to want to go again because I can't wait till I get to go again. It's just a great blessing. Okay. Um, well, pretty much everybody that's spoken to answer this question has um, said everything that I was going to say. So, uh, <laughs> But um, I will say that 
one of the special blessings was meeting the child we sponsor. Um, that was really, um, you know, we've sponsored through Compassion before, but never got to meet the child. And it is, there really is something special about actually going there, meeting the child, holding them, getting to know, know them, you know. And um, so that was amazing. Um, and, I mean, I would definitely um, say gone was just like one of the best things that I've ever done. Um, it's a life-changing experience. And, you know, I knew a lot about what goes on over there because mm-hmm. of Natalie and David. They've gone twice already, and I've heard all the stories. I've seen all the pictures. It is not the same as going over there. I'll just say that. Um, I thought that I knew what, you know, about it or whatever, but to go and experience it was a totally different thing. And so, you know, you just hearing all this, these things from us today is nothing compared to the experience you'll have if you actually step off that plane in Nairobi and, and you're there. And, and I learned so much. Um, I learned about how it was just amazing to see the joy that I saw there and the peace amidst, you know, financial poverty. Um, and, and the story with John, like um, we kind of touched on, David talked about, you know, sometimes we feel like there's so much to do. We feel overwhelmed and kind of like it shuts us down a little bit. Like we can't, we don't do anything because we feel like we can't do enough. Um, but I was really encouraged by his ministry and how he's just one person and the difference that he's making over there um, and what he's doing. It was just, um, it just inspired me so much. And, and I did learn, I learned way more than, um, than I, you know, gave in any kind of way. So it was a really great blessing. Yeah. Thank you all. I'm going to go ahead and invite the uh, worship team to come up and close us out. Uh, but I did want to share something. Y'all can go ahead. Y'all go ahead. Thank you. I did want to share something uh, with our church. Uh, two things. You heard um, us talk about the, the ministry at Rift Valley Fellowship, and I wasn't there. Um, the guys kind of stayed out of that. We, went, we actually visited with their pastor uh, and some of their, their staff there. Uh, but one of the things that I heard coming out of that room was after we had a couple of our people share their testimony, share their struggles, they had a couple share their stories, their women's pastor shared w- with that whole group and said, see, we're all broken. And that, that is what we train. And so it was really good for our team. I know Natalie mentioned uh, when helping hurts. This is if you're going to take anything away from this morning, besides signing up for the 2020 trip, is to read this book. You don't have to wait till we train to go through this. Read this book because it talks about um, helping people without hurting them. Because there's a lot of things that we think with good intention we're going to do something that's impactful, but it actually creates long-lasting harm. And so to hear that, one of the things we identify is we're all broken. We are all in poverty. Some of us, it's physical. Some of it's material. But all of us have at least a poverty that is spiritual. Because we all are poor in our relationship with our Heavenly Father and our Creator and our Savior. And so it was really encouraging to hear that because I knew that those ladies could connect the dot. Like, that's what we've been training on this whole year leading up to this. The second thing was from Philippians chapter 4. This, for whatever reason, this kept coming up over and over and over again on our trip. And so 
our, our friends in Kenya wanted to tell, they told us to tell all of you, hello, they want you to come visit them, but they just wanted us to pass on the love to you. They said, hey, tell your church that we love them and that we're praying for them. And so I wanted to tell you that. And if this is needed for you this morning, I, I'm just going to share it with you because it kept coming up for us. And so I, whenever something like that happens, I don't want to ignore it because these were kind of disconnected, but Philippians 4 kept coming up. And so if you find yourself anxious this morning, I want to read this to you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote, do not be anxious about anything. And that wasn't just an empty command. He didn't say, don't be anxious, instead do this. Right before that, I love that he says, he gives the reason why we should not be anxious about everything. And he said, the Lord is at hand. And I know in times in my life when I've gone through a lot of anxiety, I would repeat those words. It came in a very good time. It was actually in our small group in Lake Charles, the very first one that ever started. And we were going through Philippians, and I was experiencing a lot of anxiety. And I would just find myself reciting this, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. God is sovereign over all things. He is working all things out for our glory and for his good. He is at hand right now. I know it may seem like he's not in control, but he is. Therefore, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it will take hold of your heart and would help you in the middle of all that. So I would encourage you this morning, if, if you're anxious about anything, the Lord is at hand. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity you gave this team, this church, to, to experience you and to meet other brothers and sisters who are passionate about you and making much of you in their neighborhood. And Father, we, we pray that for this team, as, as they are now back home, that they would begin to think about and implement in their churches, multiple churches represented in this experience, Father, that they would begin to have a heart for our city and desire to see you made much of here. That the gospel would go out not only in word, but also in deed and in action, and that we would seek to develop our city, that we would seek to walk side by side with the broken. Whether it be within this church, those of us who may not be materially, uh, materialistically broken, Father, but those that we're, we're all spiritually broken, that we wouldn't just turn a blind eye to our brother or sister who is hurting, that we would get in alongside them, Father, and that for the injustices that are, are, are in our city, Father, that we would fight with our, with our neighbors to see justice. And that this would all come as we reflect on the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, who left his eternal glory, his perfect harmony with you, to come down to reconcile us to yourself. We pray that he would be glorified. As we go into this time of worship, Father, I pray that we would sing praise as we reflect on how much you've loved us. We would sing praise to your son, Jesus. 
and that praise would ever be on our lips. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.